Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food all day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his hesed in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. Well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. The first one, the first box says command. And this is the Hesed connection to Psalm 42. I don't know if you've been distracted by this banner behind me. Um, it, 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 was, it was made because I, I just wanted to inundate. I just wanted to show or I wanted to, to display how much meaning there is behind this word. How much power there is behind this word. So uh, there's, there's a book that we've been exploring in this Hesed study. And uh, the author of the book brought out all these concepts uh, and all these ideas that were connected to this word Hesed. And I know that there are some words that, are, that repeat. I had a couple of people saying, how come this is on there twice? And how come that's on there twice? And how come this is on there three times? Well, it's because... It's because that this word is just, is wow, what a guy. It's because this word is just so full of all these concepts and these thoughts. So if you want to use the word mercy as a noun, you can, and it's in there. And you can use the word mercy, full, and change it to an adjective, and it's in there too. And you can, you can put words together. You can put mercy and merciful love and merciful loyalty and, and, and merciful friendship and you can say covenant and then there's the, the the little ending that says al that changes it into a into an adjective and you can add it to all these words and it just is it just comes at you and at you and at you more and more and more because this is the god this is the nature of the god that we serve this is the nature of our god throughout history sometimes we 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 get this idea, or someone else talks to us about this idea, that the God of the Old Testament is mean, and he's vengeful, 
And he does things that, 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 a, that a loving God shouldn't do. And you and I have to defend that sometimes. And we can because of this. This is, this is the God that shows up again and again and again in the Old Testament. And then it's culminated, of course, on Calvary and in the cross and in Christ. And we, and, and, and we are the recipients of this. Now, God hasn't changed. He wasn't really nasty in the Old Testament. And then, oh, I'll send Jesus. And then, and then you know, it'll change my reputation. <laughs> no, he's always been the same God. It's, he's, he's always been this. And a couple of weeks ago, we heard from Duff as he was sharing from Exodus 34. And God there says to Moses, he, he, he defines himself in his own voice. He says, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is how I want to present myself to the people that I've created. And, you know, even though you have some events like, like the flood and, and, there's, and there's times where cities are wiped out and, and, and nations are wiped out, cultures, you know, because God also, in his said, he has to deal with sin. That's our problem. And we have a remedy for sin, don't we? Man, are we blessed. But let me ask you this. Should I continue in sin that grace might abound? What's the answer to that? By no means. It's not just like, wait a second, let me think about that. No, Paul just says, absolutely not. Once I find out who this God is and, and the extent of this, this powerful love, I just humble myself and I'm, and I'm open and I'm grateful and I receive and it... And, and it and, and it humbles me. It doesn't make me proud. The command. Verse 8. He will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. So, if you're taking notes. <laughs> if you're taking notes. Three things. Three things about this verse 8. The first thing is this. That, that has said is not just, not just a, a noun, it's not just a thing, but it's a verb too. It's active. God is going to, going to act in it, and he's going to show it to you. He's going to show it to us. This is what he's getting out. He commands his love in the daytime. He, 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 he puts it out there. It's ours to receive. The second thing in that is that it's, it's not just active, but it's intense. He, he commands it, okay? This, this, this word is like, like an order. Okay, it's not like an order like, you know, how many, how many of you have, have made an order and it didn't come through? You know? Like you write an order, you, you order something from Amazon or out of the Sears catalog. <laughs> that dates us stuff out of the Sears catalog or something like that. And, and it gets lost somewhere or it's slow or, or you know, because it's, because it's human beings, you know, there's, there's a miss. But God, this is God. He orders it. He orders his love upon us. He commands his love toward us in the daytime. 
It's, and it's so, it's, it's, there's, there's such an intensity to it. We, I, would like to learn how this works more. And I would like us and you to learn how this works more and more and more. So that you can, you can grow and you can experience this and you can access this and you can become a child of God's love. The third thing is this from this. Um, this love is always, it's always there. It's always, it's always right there. It's always present. Now, just a little aside here, or just a little addition to this, to this uh, verse. He will command his said towards us in the daytime, and he will give us a song in the night. A song, uh, a prayer to our God. It says that. It says that the song that we sing in the night is also a, a, a prayer. So that's, that's two things. There's two things there. First of all, it's okay to sing in the middle of the night. Your house is big enough that you could go somewhere else and make some noise and you won't, you won't disturb your snoring partner. Also, also, try this. Here's a homework assignment for you. Sing your prayers. Sing your prayers. Put some music into the prayer, your prayer time. I know you have one. I know you have a devotional, however it goes. Put some music into that. Sing your prayers. Take a, take a line. Take a, take a phrase. Put it to music. You don't have to be good. No one else is listening to you but the Holy Spirit anyway. You don't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be polished. It doesn't have to be great. But it just, it, it, I do it and it so helps me to, to enhance my prayer time. Sing your, sing your prayers. Oh God. You are good, and your mercy endures. Oh God, oh God, you are good, and your mercy endures. And you sing that over, and then thoughts start to come. Thoughts start to come, and ideas start to come. And, and, and you know, you know it's, I don't know where I heard it. Sometime in the last, I don't know, we were at a church over the weekend when we were down at that wedding. It might have been there, or it might have been in the wedding sermon itself this is a funny thing is I know this guy who did this wedding and he's you know he's very formal he likes to wear a suit and and here we are out in the middle of a pasture having this wedding and I don't know how he avoided the cow manure with his $150 shoes but I mean, there's, there are cow patties everywhere. There's water everywhere. And here's this guy. He's delivering this sermon in this nice formal suit. Everybody's dressed as cowboys. And, and there we were. And I think somewhere in that sermon, or maybe it was the sermon that we heard on the Sunday morning, somewhere it said, somewhere somebody said, we, we sort of gravitate. And it's, 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 it's a default thing to focus on the negative. Think about that for a second. You know, we... We do love to complain, don't we? And it, it just comes so natural. It's just, it's just right there. I mean, I'm guilty of it even today. That, you know, we, we got sun outside and it's beautiful, but it's stinking wind. You know, it's just always something to, to you know, we always, we always go there. 
I remedy that by singing, by worshiping these truths and, 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 and crowding out that negative with some positive, with some truth, with some power. God, you're so good. And your mercy goes on and on and on. The second box. Second box, there's Korah. Says Korah. Oh, Korah. If you go, I, I don't want to go and read these stories because they're pretty long and involved. But I'll see if I can, if I can pack this story into the next few minutes about this guy named Korah. Now, first of all, I'm not even sure if the sons of Korah, who are the authors uh, of this Psalm 42, if they're connected to the Korah from the rebellion that Moses had to deal with back in Numbers 16. I'm pretty sure it is. But that's a hard one. That's Anyway, this Korah was a Levite. And, uh, but he wasn't a priest. Um, so he came to Moses and he was, uh, he was complaining about, about how um, he didn't get to do the priestly stuff. But he was a Levite. So the Levites uh, were in charge of not just doing priestly duties, but getting ready for the priestly duties. So the Levites carried the ark, and the Levites carried the tent around, and the Levites took the tent down, and they put it back up, and the Levites washed the dishes, and the Levites had, had, the, had the, the, the tabernacle ready. They had everything prepared so the priests could come in and do their thing. And they could offer their sacrifices or, or, you know, burn the incense, however it went. But there were only a certain number of people who could do the priestly duties. Korah wanted to be one of those people. So Korah went to Moses and he said, he said, you know, everybody in the assembly is holy. We can all do these things. And in other words, what? Moses saw that, and, he, and, he, and, and Moses thinks, this guy is jealous. He, he wants to be a priest. He's a Levite, but, but, but the, the priests were Aaron and his sons. And, and, and these, this, this Korah and the other Levites, they were responsible for the menial tasks. And he didn't like that. He wanted to be a priest. At the same time, there are two other guys in number 16 who rise up, and they are Dathan and Abiram, and they are Reubenites. They're from the tribe of Reuben. But they have a different beef with Moses. So they come to Moses, and they say, um, and this, is, this shocked me when I read it. Never really caught this before. They came to Moses, and they said, we left a land flowing with milk and honey. And you said we were going to a land flowing with milk and honey. So we've experienced the one, but we haven't experienced the other. They called Egypt a land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't that intriguing? And so they were saying, we need a new leader, Moses, and we want to go back to the other land flowing with milk and honey. Actually, it was flowing with leeks and onions and garlic. Now, that makes for tasty meals, but... You don't want to get too close to people, do you? So, 
So they had a different beef against Moses. So Moses is, is distraught and he is, he's sad and he's angry with this. He says, okay, tomorrow um, we're going to gather the priests and bring your fire and bring your fire pans and, and all that stuff. And then Aaron will burn and then, and we'll see who God chooses. And Korah says, okay. When he calls Dathan and Abiram and he summons them, they don't come. They're, they're, they're a little bit cowardly and they don't come. Anyway, the day comes. Moses says some interesting things because he says, uh, he says to Korah, isn't it enough for you, the service that you provide? You want the priesthood as well? And then he says this, he says this to Korah. He says, he says, you know, I can see you complaining to me, but why did you drag Aaron into this? Why did you drag my brother into this? He had nothing to do with this. And now you're pulling him into this also. So they set up at the tent of meeting. There's this group. There's, 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 there's a few hundred people. There's a lot of people in this rebellion. One, one's, one, one wants the... the the land flowing with milk and honey. They want to go back to Egypt. The other one wants to be a bunch of priests and they're kind of joining forces. Joining forces. Oh, that sounds like the political trends of our day. We won't go there though. Joining forces and then, and then God says this to Moses. I love this. He says, Moses, stand back. Because I'm going to take these guys. Now Moses tries to warn them. He tries to intercede. And he's like, oh, Okay, no, no, it's almost like, God, i got a plan here. And then God says to Moses, stand back, Moses. I'm taking these guys. So boom, the land opens up, the ground opens up, Korah goes down, Dathan and Abiram go down, there's fire, there's, man, and thousands of people go that day. And you go over and you skip over to Numbers 26, and in Numbers 26, they're doing a little bit of, I don't know, re-summarizing. And in Numbers 26, it says, okay, here are the people who came from the family of Reuben and the family of Simeon and the family of Levi. And, 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 they, and, and they sort of list the families. They start with the Reubenites because Reuben was the oldest son. And they say, okay, Reuben, and then this person, this person, this person, this person. Oh, and then there was Abiram, Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram were the same Dathan and Abiram from 10 chapters ago who rebelled against Moses, and they were taken out. Those are the people that I'm referring to here. Oh, oh, and remember Korah? In chapter 26, it says this. Remember Korah? He was also involved in that rebellion. However... And here's the neat thing. Here's the thing that, you know, the scriptures, sometimes you got to take them apart and dig a little bit. It says, however, the sons of Korah did not die. The sons of Korah did not die. So there were relatives of Korah who, watching this thing transpire, watching this thing happen, saw their father go down into the earth and they were spared. Why were they spared? Why did they get to live and the others did not? I think I know why. 
because you and I needed Psalm 42. And today we get to read the writings of the sons of Korah. And the, Korah and his sons, they teach us a couple of things. You and I have a calling. You and I have a job. We, 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 we're called by God to do something. We're gifted for some task. Let me warn you, using Korah as my example, that you don't desire somebody else's task. That you might have a task and you might even consider that task a little bit menial or meaningless. And nobody notices me. I'm, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get the spotlight. You know, I'm, 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 I'm cleaning the toilets. I'm washing the dishes. I'm making the coffee. And nobody's, I, you know, I want to go somewhere else. I want to I I do this and this and this. And, and the lesson that we get from Korah is that you got a calling. Korah, you have this job. God gave it to you, you and you need to do it. Now, the second thing is this, which I find totally amazing. It's this. If you do your job, if you do your thing, Watch God. You have this, this, this privilege of watching God do something with you above and beyond that call. Okay, so what happens with Korah? What happens with his sons is that they stay alive. They continue to do what they need to do in, in, in the tabernacle as helpers to the priests. They continue to do that. But now we have... Pieces of literature. We have psalms written by these guys. And they're giving us insights. They're giving us insights that, you know, it kind of reminds me of David. He's out tending the sheep. All by himself. He's in, in seclusion. Singing songs to sheep. What kind of an audience is sheep? Singing songs to sheep, learning how to play, learning how to sing, learning how to write songs, learning how to do all these things. Little does he know that God is going to do something amazing with his life. He just stays faithful to what he's doing, and then God, God does way more beyond what we can ask or think. Think of Stephen in the New Testament. What does deacon mean? They're Choosing deacons. And the word deacon means to serve tables. That's what it means. Is it, they're, they're servants. They clean up. And then they, they, they tell the people, the apostles tell the people, choose seven of, choose seven people to take over this task of organizing the food for the widows. Well, one of them was a guy named Stephen. And what does it say about Stephen? He's full of the Holy Spirit. Does Stephen get more opportunities than what he's been called to do. He's been called to help to make sure the widows get their food, to wait on tables. Does Stephen do more than that calling? God leads this guy into some amazing things. Oh, yes, it costs him his life. But you see what happens when we do what we're supposed to do and we allow God to work and do things. You will have influence. If you're doing what God has called you to do, 
you will have great influence. And the sons of Korah have had great influence as we get to read their psalms and learn from their uh, experiences how many centuries later. It's a glorious thing. It's a wonderful thing. God does punish. Remember we talked about that, or Duff talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And this too. Ah, I struggle with this, Duff. I have, I, I have worked on this and, and tried to figure this whole punishing the guilty, visiting the sins of the fathers to the children, to the third and the fourth generations. Man, I've tried to work that out, trying to, you know, how is that applied to us? And we had a good explanation a couple of weeks ago. But let's just consider Korah for a minute. Well, let's, let's consider my father. My father was a good guy. But my father was also a 33rd degree mason. And he was a shriner. My dad played bagpipes in the Shriner pipe band, and we would go and watch the Shriners parades in Ontario. And there would be all these really, really big guys riding around in small cars. <laughs> I mean, really big guys. I don't know how they got into those small cars. But my dad was the pipe major, a Dutchman. Duff, can you believe it? A Dutchman leading a bunch of Scottish bagpipers into the Shriners Parade. Now, when I became a Christian and I discovered a couple of things about the whole Masonic thing, I was kind of going, ooh, what is that? How does that affect my dad and how does that affect me? You see, we start to, we start to question those things. We start, to, we start to wonder about those things. But I have this really amazing memory about my dad. Him and I, at my sister's little farm, leaning over the fence, looking at pigs, chickens maybe, I can't remember. We're looking over the fence. And I was a little concerned about my dad. Wondering, you know, am I going to see him again after he passed away? Because he was sick and he was going to die soon. And I said to my father, you know, I'm a little concerned. Are you ready? Are you ready to go, Dad? And he said, yes, I am. I know Jesus. What else do you need? But there's still that thing in the back of my mind that says, my dad was a mason. How does that affect me? Korah. Korah, the leader of a rebellion. How does that affect the sons of Korah? Down the generations. How does that? They still have that name. They haven't changed their name. Their name is still, they are still sons of Korah. Oh, the, oh that Korah? You mean that Korah? Oh, you know what Korah means, by the way? Baldness. <laughs> I can relate to this guy named Korah. But you see, they, there's, they're, they're, you know, God does visit. He punishes but he also restores and he visits those things so so the sons of Korah always have this reminder that God judged but he also showed great and eternal mercy 
I hope that you have the same struggle I have in trying to sort that out. I honestly do. Because it's a good thing for you to think about and to weed through. The next one is, the word is, where? Where is your God? Three questions are asked, not just where. Three questions are asked in this. There's, there's a lot of them in this psalm. And I want you to know something that when you're, when you're praying, when you're praying, and you got a problem, it's okay to ask God questions. Look at one of the questions in the psalm. I think it's verse 9. Hey, I will say to my God, why have you forgotten me? Kind of a thing. You know, I used to read through the, the, those, those kinds of psalms, and I thought, where does a guy get the audacity to ask a question like that? God, what's going on? Where are you? How is this working? This is wrong. I'm mad. You're allowed to say those things to God. He's okay with that. Just don't badmouth God to someone else, okay? Don't gossip about God. Oh, man, this God of mine, he just, I mean, what, what's the problem with him? You know, you know. No, but in his presence, I've, I've done this before and I'm still alive. Say, God, I, I, don't, I don't agree with this. I don't like this. I don't like, I don't like the experience I'm going through and I don't like what it's doing to the people around me that I love. So what's going on? God, what's going on? Well, according to the psalm, you can ask those questions. And a loving God, a God who loves eternally, a loving God understands that. And he will listen to those questions. He might even answer them. That's how good God is. There's a lot of questions in this psalm. One of them is, where is your God? And I appreciate this question because it shows me that even the people of the Old Testament... They're enemies. He calls them enemies and adversaries in this psalm. But your enemies and your adversaries aren't necessarily people who are out to harm you or kill you physically. Okay? They're experiencing people around them who are watching them go through difficult times and are mocking them. And they're saying, where is your God? This God that you, that you talk about who delivers and saves and loves and, and, and you know, he comes through for you. What, where is he? And I don't know about you, but that hurts sometimes. When I have to explain why I'm going through hard times to someone who doesn't really understand who God is. And that hurts. And that's what the psalmist is experiencing. He's, there's, there's no one out trying to assassinate him. Nobody's trying to, you know, trying to take him out. He's not fearing for his literal, physical life. He's just under this constant barrage. They ask me from all day long, it says, where's your God? Like it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not a compassionate, empathetic thing. That's not what it is. It's like, where, where's your God? Like, where's your God? This is, the, this is ridiculous. The, God doesn't do these kinds of things. Where, where is your God? And then you start, ah, then you start doubting and you start, you start feeling that weight, don't you? Like, yeah, where is God? Why am I going through these things? And that's why we need psalms like this. That's why we need truth in scripture. Because God is faithful. He is this. He is this all over. But sometimes in the midst of it, I'm having trouble seeing it. And then we have another enemy. 
And this really represents our other enemy well. Because what does our other enemy do? What does he do? He lies. He lies. He gets into, he meddles into our situation. And if he can get your ear, he'll say things like this. Where's God? Where's your God? He'll try to discredit God and he will try to get you doubting him. And that's why he comes in with these lies. Where's your God? Where's your God? And man, that's nasty stuff. I mean, yeah, sticks and stones. But it's the words for me. And it's, I know it's the same thing for you. I mean, we used to say that, right? We used to say to other kids, your words can't hurt me. Well, we were lying, by the way. Because those words do hurt. And they do have an effect on us. And they do cause us to doubt things. And they do cause us to go through difficult times. That's why I like these questions. Because they, they sort of put that into perspective for me. Even in the Old Testament. Where we see a lot of, you know, battles. Physical stuff. Death. Um, you know, like, like just a lot of... A lot of politics and wars and armies. And yet still, this shows me that they're, they're suffering not only on that level, but also on the, on, on the emotional level, inside. Where's your God? Where's your God? The next one is remember. The next square is remember. Now, Two times remember occurs in Psalm 42. These things I remember, uh, Psalm 42 and verse 4, and Psalm, ooh, where's the other one? Uh, verse 6, I remember you from the land, and this is going to lead us into the tears part too, but, but he remembers, the psalmist remembers some things. What in the world is Mount Hermon? The peaks of Mount Hermon. And what is Mount Mazar? What are these places? When you read these psalms and you read some, do you wonder, okay, I wasn't there. Uh, I don't live there. I don't know where the peaks of Hermon are. What are these things about? What is, what, what are, why, why are those things significant? Well, the peaks of Hermon, Hermon's peaks, <laughs> um, it, it, it's it, actually in the, in the text, it's, it, he, he talks about the Hermans more than one because there were more than one peak and they were big and they were tall and they were north and east of Israel. Up, if you go to the, the, the Sea of Galilee, they are further up there and they're not that far from the city of Dan. Do you remember? You've seen in scripture from Dan to Beersheba. You've seen that phrase before where the, the writer is trying to to, um, to emphasize the, you know, the full scope of the land from the city of Dan all the way down south to Beersheba. Well, those peaks of Hermon were up by Dan. And the sons of Korah remember God from those peaks. And those peaks, they were at those peaks before they went into the promised land, before Joshua took them in, they... They, um, they scouted all the way up and down on the right-hand side, on the east side of the Jordan. So these peaks are snow-covered almost all the time, and they feed the Jordan. These 
tributaries actually feed the, uh, the Sea of Galilee and then they feed the Jordan. And then it goes down into the Dead Sea. These peaks are important. The sons of Korah were there because the sons of Korah were spared and they were there and they remember God. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you do this already, but you need to. If you don't do it, you need to start doing it. You need to take, you need to make a record. You need to make a record of God and his goodness. Either it'll be a mental record, but if you're like me, I wouldn't trust my mental record because my memory is like a sieve. I write things down. I take a journal and I put some point. I, now, I'm not... I'm not as diligent at it as I probably should be. I'm not writing in it every day. But when something is happening in my life, I get a pen and I get a piece of paper and I start to put my thoughts on the page. And as I'm doing that, God starts to show me things and God starts to reveal to me and God starts to remind me of how good he's been. Because if you have a record of it and you're going back through that record... We have a record of it right here. And we can go back through that record and see that God's always been faithful. He's always been good. He's always, he's always kept covenant all the way through. And he will continue to do that. So if you're having some, some kind of season, some kind of trouble, get a pen and write some things down and start to write out your prayers and start to write out your ideas. And you can even say, I don't, you know, I... I don't know if I should make my journal public because there's a couple of things in there that, you know, are kind of personal. And there's also things in there that are, that are like this psalm. Lord, where, where are you? Where, when can I come before God again? What's going on in my life? Why are these things happening? God, where are you? Those things are in my journal. And that's, that's good to remind you because, because, you know, we might go through a season. We might go through something, but I'm, I promise you, You'll come out of it. You'll get there. You'll come through. It'll change. God is good. He's faithful. He'll get you through. And then you'll, you'll be better. You'll be stronger. I was, I, was, I was reminded just recently. Just recently. And I don't know why. Maybe it's for some other people. Maybe it's for this message. When Jesus goes to Peter, he says, Peter, Satan's got your number, man. He has got your number. Oh, that's actually not what it says. It says, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. He's after you. He's gunning for you. And what does Jesus say? Then what does Jesus say? But I have prayed for you. And you're going to make it. And when you come through this season, and we know it, we get to look at it, we get to read about Peter's denials and about Peter's forgiveness and about the restoration that happens there. When you're done, Peter, when this is over, go to your brothers and strengthen them. Because that's why I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring you through and you're going to win. And you're going to be able to tell people about this. And you're going to tell people uh, how good I am and how powerful I am. The last thing is tears. The last thing is tears. This is really the psalm of water. I know you thought it was Psalm 23 where he leads me beside still waters. But this one has more references to water than, I don't know, 
maybe I'm wrong, but, but there's, there's just lots of reference to water. And one of those references is tears. But if, if you go through this, it says, the deer pants, as the deer pants for water, my soul pants for you, my soul thirsts for God. My tears have been my food. These things I remember and I pour out my soul. I used to go along, why are you in despair? And then it goes on and then I remember you from the, the peaks of Hermon are those ones that are covered in snow. And then verse seven, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. Are there any more? Why are you in despair? It's the psalm of water. And I want to say something about your tears. God loves your tears. God loves your heart. And he knows your pain. Where's that psalm? I think I wrote it down. Psalm 56 and verse 8. According to that verse, what does God do with your tears? He collects them. He collects them. He knows about everyone. He knows. That's how deep the love of God is. Nothing escapes his notice. You are his child and he knows every second of your life. He's always there. He's always there. Just his, his thoughts towards you are like the sand of the seashore. They are too numerous to count. And in that psalm, you know what David says at the end of it? He says, when I wake up, God, you're still there. What does that say to us? It says that God has been sitting next to our bed all night and watching over us like a concerned parent would, a distraught or a sick child. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the nature of this God. He knows about every, everything that happens to you. It's so amazing and so phenomenal. And in the midst of that, he commands. He commands. He orders his love upon you. He orders it. He says, this is yours. Come and get it. Come and be flooded there's another water reference, inundated by this love that I have for you and my presence for you. This is who I am. And this is how I treat my children, those who believe in me and those who love me. I will bless you. I'm going to ask Esther and Melissa and Zach to come back up here because they're going to sing for us. And we're going to continue with our service. But just let me say, I know, I know it's, 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 it's hard to cry. Some of you even have trouble crying in private. <laughs> because, you know, aren't we told when we're kids, okay, you can cry for a little bit, but then you got to stop. You got to control it. Especially our little boys, we tell them, you know, men don't cry. Well, if that's the case, then, then, then I'm, I'm really missing it bad because I'm crying all the time now. And 
and, 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 and I, I want you to know that uh, don't ever, ever despise or deny your tears. They are special to God. Allow them. Allow it to, allow it to happen. I mean, some of these psalmists, and they're men, by the way, some of these psalmists, my tears are my food all the time. I've soaked my bed with my tears because I'm so distraught and I'm so heavy-hearted. But God, you are good, and you are there, and you are mine, and I will be all right. I'll make it. Start playing. Start playing that song. I'm going to talk over your, uh, over your music. So, we have this account, this song. How many of you can relate to the psalm? Just put your hand up if you can relate to the psalm. My Lord, you see those hands. Lord, there's like a thousand situations just in this room that are causing hearts to be heavy. And the enemy has weaseled his way in to say, yeah, where's your God? Well, today, Lord, we're going to call on you. And we are going to embrace this hesed, this love that you order upon us, this love that you command upon us. We are going to receive it today. So, Lord, as we, as we say, I, I, I pray for those in this room who have specific, very real, and very present situations that are causing their hearts to ache. I don't know. Could be a number. Could be a number of things that are causing pain and anxiety. Whatever it is today, Lord, would you come into this room and minister by your spirit to each and every need. Bring deliverance, bring love, bring that sense, Lord, that God is good, that God is God, and God is love. You are love, and we can rely on you and receive you and all you have for us today. If you need to cry today, you're you're totally allowed to do that. If you need to, to sit in his presence and receive today, you're totally allowed to do that. We need this psalm and we need this God who comes with strength and power and might and yet who comes with compassion and tenderness, and love, empathy, understanding, and blessing.